Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Join with me, if you will, in prayer as we ask God to bless our time together. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we just thank You so much for uh, the privilege to come to seek out Your Word. Lord, to allow uh, Your message to sink deep into our hearts and lives. To allow Your Word to, to speak into us. To allow us, Father, to, to, to honor uh, the message that You have for us. Lord, bless us now. Help us to hear Your Word. Help us to, to hear your voice within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Second Chronicles. Um, when uh, President Reagan was elected President of the United States, um, he and Nancy had to, to get used to the executive mansion on their own because... President Carter had uh, broken with recent tradition that had not and had not given the Reagans a tour of the uh, mansion uh, as previous presidents had done. Uh, it, it, if you remember uh, during that time, if you were uh, aware of, of things and how they were going on, uh, it had been a grueling uh, time for President Carter. Not only had it been a bitterly fought campaign, but uh, President Carter was also dealing with the Iran-Contra affair that had seen uh, United States citizens uh, from the embassy taken as uh, hostages uh, by uh, terrorists there in Iran. Uh, And uh, as... uh, President Reagan got into the limousine with President Carter for the trip to uh, the uh, inauguration. Uh, President Carter didn't say a word because he was just totally exhausted from staying up most of the night uh, working on the release of those hostages. Uh, His desire was to see the hostages freed before he uh, left office. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen right uh, at that time. Uh, The inauguration also broke with tradition in that uh, uh, it was the first time in history that it was held on the west side of the Capitol rather than on the east side of the Capitol. Reagan wanted to have the opportunity to take the oath of office uh, facing the west towards uh, his... Uh, um, uh, the state where he was born and also uh, the state of California where uh, he had uh, come into prominence as the governor of the state uh, and had uh, been living up until that time. And so um, it was an overcast and dark and uh, uh, cloudy day, but the amazing thing happened as Reagan stood up 
in front of the chief justice and placed his hand upon the Bible to take the oath of office. The sun broke through the clouds and uh, the sun began to, to shine upon his face uh, as he began to recite the oath of office. And uh, he placed his hand when he did on um, the, uh, the Bible that his mother had given him open to the text that, that we're going to look at today. It's a very famous text in, in which uh, many times uh, Christians turn back to, and it is Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, and uh, the verse there that is so familiar to all of us. But next to the, the verse, uh, uh, that verse that we are going to look at, uh, his mother had written a note uh, beside Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen, and uh, she had written uh, on this uh, passage of scripture beside it. Uh, she said uh, uh, this uh, thing. This Bible, this family Bible that was crumbling and hanging together by tape. Uh, she had wrote a thought for you today. You can do. Uh, you can be too big for uh, God to use, but you cannot be too small. Think about that quote for just a moment. You can be too big. You can consider yourself too big of a person to to allow God to use your life and to be usable by God, but you can never be too small. God can take the, the smallest one of us, the most insignificant individual, uh, whether or not you ever uh, aspire or ever achieve the, the status of becoming the President of the United States or not, God can use you and God can take you and, and enable you to do great and mighty things in His name if you just simply allow Him to, to use your life and allow Him uh, to take your life and to mold it into the person and the, and the individual that, uh, that God has called you to be. Uh, this passage of Scripture found in Second Chronicles is, is oftentimes taken and lifted up and, and is just simply preached about that one verse. But that verse has a lot of context. There's a lot of meaning in, in why is this verse in the Bible. Why, uh, uh, one of the things that I like to do is to, as you are familiar with, uh, with how I preach and, and familiar with my past, uh, of the way in which I approach uh, Scripture, is that every Scripture has a context for why it's there. It has a. Uh, it is often the case when you uh, study hermeneutics. Uh, that's the study of learning that context of understanding why that verse is there. Why is it significant? Uh, uh, oftentimes, you're uh, in hermeneutics. You're asked, "Okay, uh, who's the original here? Who's the writer of this uh, text? What's the circumstances that he's writing it in? What's the surrounding history of of why uh, when it was written? Uh, what are the things that were happening? What are some of the significant things that are going on in the life and the history of the people that are, are that are that have has written this, that God has used to write this passage of Scripture and the people that are going to hear this for the very first time. What is the significance of this passage of Scripture in their life, in that moment, in that day? Why are they hearing this? Why is God speaking to them in this situation? You see, we oftentimes, we take the Scripture and, and we understand that, that God 
speaks to us through this scripture, but a, a, a lot of all of this scripture is written during a time and a day and an age in which none of us were born, none of us were alive, none of us were there when uh, when the uh, the Spirit fell upon the individual that God chose to write these words. So why is it that God intended for them to, uh, to write those words? Uh, why is it significant? Uh, yes, we hear the voice of God. We hear the message of God. And because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, these words have significance for us today just as much as they did for the individual thousands of years ago who read them for the very first time. So... Why are these words here? Why has God chosen to write this passage of Scripture? It's not because the people are rioting in the streets and the police are looked down upon and and, uh, it seems like the world is falling apart. There's another significant reason why. It has nothing to do with us today. But it can breathe into this passage of Scripture so much meaning and so much more understanding as to why God had that man write these words in this way. And so if you take back, uh, step back a few moments uh, with me and look at this passage of Scripture, you'll see at the beginning of chapter 7 that uh, Solomon is writing these uh, words and these words are coming to Solomon uh, from God and from God's messenger. So why is it that Solomon hears these words? What is going on in Solomon's life? Well, if you remember uh, us discussing this last uh, time we met, Solomon had a great desire to, to build the house of God. Uh, this this burden fell upon David, but God didn't allow David to write the uh, to to uh, build the, the the house of God because David had uh, spent most of his life conquering other nations that were all around, and David had uh, through his efforts of conquering those uh, enemies of Israel all around uh, the Promised Land that God had given uh, Israel had brought about an unprecedented peace to the to the nation of Israel that was inherited by his son Solomon when Solomon took the throne uh, from his father David. And Solomon uh, 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 had a visit from God and God said to Solomon, what is it that I can give you that uh, will uh, help you and enable you as you go into this role as, as the king of my people? And Solomon said very wisely, he said, God, give me wisdom. God, uh, please grant me the wisdom to be able to rule your people, to follow you and to allow you to lead us into the right way. And so God blessed Solomon with an abundance of, of great wealth. He blessed Solomon with a long life. He blessed Solomon with great wisdom that he had prayed for. And one of the things that Solomon desired to do that David set up for him was uh, the building of God's temple. And it took 20 years for Solomon to build this temple. 20 years to... uh, Can you imagine uh, starting a project that would take that long? 20 years. 20 years to to complete handiwork and doing... I've heard of of handymen that, that... Look, handymen are, are so wonderful to help people and so many people, but uh, the old adage is is that uh, the handyman always has work that needs to be done in his own home because he never has time to do it. He's always working for someone else. 
Solomon must have felt that way because it took so long for this uh, job to be complete. But what happened when the, the job was done was that Solomon called all the people of Israel together and he, uh, he sacrificed a tremendous sacrifice to God and he, he uh, uh, slaughtered all these bulls and all these animals that he offered on the altar as a way of, of consecrating the temple to God. And it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, Solomon had spent a, a lengthy time of praying, and you can uh, read the prayer in Second uh, Chronicles 6. He says, uh, and one, of the thing, one of the last things that he says to God is, uh, uh, Psalm, uh, I mean, excuse me, Second Chronicles 6, 41, Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord uh, God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed, and remember the mercies of David thy servant. And when Solomon had ended in praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house and when all the children saw how the uh, the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, "For He is good; His mercy endures forever." And the people offered sacrifices. So just take in for a moment the whole people of Israel see the glory of God fill the temple and they understand and they realize the significance of God, the God of all the universe, the God who created all things, the God who is the maker of man and, uh, and, and beasts and everything that creeps and crawls and swims uh, through the waters and flies through the air, the God who created every one of the points of lights that we see in the night of distant stars and planets, uh, the God who created the sun that rises in the east and sets in the west, the God who created man, you, uh, that God God came and dwelt amongst the people in that temple. His presence came upon, uh, within their midst. And just imagine, if you will, the very awesome, awe-inspiring uh, th uh, thing to witness the very presence of God in that place. It's an amazing thing. And it, 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 it surprises you even more that God that anyone would ever dare to step away from God to witness such a thing. But that, thing, that kind of thing happens. That kind of tragedy happens. You, uh, you know, that, that has happened really in our nation. Our people. I was watching some stuff... Uh, uh, yesterday uh, on YouTube, there's there, uh, YouTube can be a, a wonderful blessing and it can be a terrible curse. You can look and see some awful things and you can see some wonderful things. I love watching uh, 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 church services on YouTube and seeing uh, all these different pastors that I, I never have a chance to to hear them preach uh, uh, any other way than to see 
the things that they post from their uh, church websites and on YouTube. And so uh, I was enjoying a wonderful day of, of watching uh, some services yesterday. And, and one of the things that I, I saw was some of the things about our history. I love history and I love uh, to watch uh, things about history as well. And uh, uh, an individual was on, on YouTube yesterday and, and uh, I was watching it and he was talking about our Christian heritage here in this nation. Now, there's uh, people throughout uh, in the media and, and in uh, uh, academia and different places that say that our nation uh, was not founded by uh, Christian men, that uh, they were de- deists. They didn't have any specific faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, this individual was taking uh, uh, historical document after historical document. He was pulling up actual copies of them. Uh, I mean, the the originals and showing how uh, our nation was founded by uh, Christian men. Uh, are, are you aware that as the Congressional Congress came, uh, uh, the the Colonial Congress came together to to set down and write the the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that they spent uh, every day that they came together for two weeks before they did anything. Uh, they spent two hours a day in prayer alone, and then they had Bible study and spent time uh, studying God. Word and, and listening to the Word of God being uh, shared with them by uh, renowned preachers, that's, and they spent uh, days doing this before they ever did anything else. How can you say they're not Christians? On the very documents that give us our freedom, uh, the, the document that, is, that uh, our founding fathers went over when they sued for peace from England, uh, to end the Revolutionary War, at the very uh, top of that document, uh, it gives glory to to God, to the Fa- to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They they gave glory to the the Trinity on the very top of that document that gives us the very freedoms that we have. And uh, are you aware that before we uh, fought the Revolutionary War, it was not allowed for anyone in any of the colonies, that included us because we were a colony of Great Britain, we could not print a copy of the Bible here. All the Bibles had to be printed in England because uh, they had to be approved by the king because uh, whatever the king was, if he was uh, the Church of England, if he was was, uh, Catholic or whatever it was, that meant everyone else in the kingdom, including everyone in the colonies, had to be that same thing too. So it was not permitted that, uh, that any Bibles be printed in the United States until after we won victory in the Revolutionary War. And the very th- first thing they, that happened that same year was they began to put together uh, a printing and and there is a Bible that's been uh, that was printed in seven uh, in 1784 that is the very first Bible that was printed in the United States after freedom was won in the United States. Our liberty was guaranteed uh, by that treaty that was signed, and it was a Bible that was commissioned by the United States Congress. 
And in the very beginning, in the very uh, beginning pages of that book, not only is there a seal that indicates that it was commissioned by the United States Congress to be printed, but it was uh, the purpose of that uh, book was was written uh, uh, was printed so that it could be used for instruction in the schools. Don't tell me we're not a Christian nation. And every, uh, every Congress that met for uh, over 100 years, for 140 years, began with prayer. But sometime back, uh, not too long ago, in, in the 1960s, prayer began to come out of our schools because prayer was taken out of the United States Congress. Our nation began to turn away from God and turn away from its Christian heritage. Do you know that of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, that over 46 of them had seminary degrees and Bible college degrees? How can you say that these men who were theologians didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that weren't Christian? Our nation was founded on a principle of of being a godly nation and then we began to turn our back away from God and then things began to tear apart, began to fall apart. Our nation began to to crumble because we turned our back against God. But we weren't the first. The nation of Israel saw the mighty hand of God working and moving in their life saw God to deliver them from slavery and bondage and took them from uh, Egypt all the way to the promised land and not only uh, delivered them there safely, destroyed the the army of, of Egypt, the greatest military at that time, destroyed that nation not by anything that they did, but simply by the hand of God. Delivered them to the promised land, gave them that land, that helped them to feed all the nations that possessed that land, you would think these people that saw God move amongst their midst, dwelt amongst them as they went through the wilderness, fed them day and night with manna, caused the quail to, to, to swoop down and land on the ground and allow them to catch the quail, so much so that they, it just gorged their mouths. These people that were going through the wilderness... They, they couldn't carry enough water and, and provisions to make it through, and yet God made water come from a stone. Turn, turn water that, came, uh, that was in wells to, uh, from bitter water that caused death uh, to be healed by simply uh, uh, throwing a stick into it. God did these things to see them through caused them as they wandered uh, because of their unwillingness to follow God into the promised land. Uh, they wandered in the wilderness in sin and, and all through those 40 years their sandals, their clothes didn't wear out. They saw all these things. How could you ever turn away from God? How could you ever <coughs> excuse me <coughs> How could you ever doubt the presence of God? But God gave them a warning. 
as he filled the, the temple of God, as he filled that place and, and he witnessed, they witnessed the fire of God falling from heaven to consume the burnt offerings, as God's people saw the very presence of God fill that place, who could imagine ever falling away from God? Keep reading with me. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And the king Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty and two thousand oxen, twenty-two thousand oxen, and hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God, and the priests waited on their offices, and the Levites also with their instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because his mercy endureth forever. When David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all the Israelites stood. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the uh, peace offerings, because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat. And also at the same time Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him, a very great congregation from the entering uh, in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he set the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed upon David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. And thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. He prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon. Look, here's verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people, and then if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will hear their land, heal their land. Now mine eyes shall see, uh, be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be here uh, there forever and mine eyes and heart shall be uh, there perpetually. He says, listen, if there ever comes a day in which I punish the people, why would God punish the people? Why would they, why would they need to, uh, uh, for this, this verse to be in there? Why was that verse there? God understood and knew that uh, it's in our nature to turn away from Him. Uh, all of this glory of God being shown, all of the, the wonders of all that God is doing, bring about the great awesome blessing of God. Why would God's people turn away? 
But we do. John Quincy Adams, one of our uh, early presidents, that was president after George Washington, wrote in his memoirs, he said, How can we see all that happened with the founding of this nation? Look, here, when they wrote their names to the Declaration of Independence, it meant that that men and uh, and yes, even women would have to go to their homes and and take that little squirrel rifle that was hanging over the mantel and 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 take up shot and ball and 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 they'd have to take powder and they'd have to go and and commit themselves to coming together as a people and taking on the greatest military in the world, the British military how in the world could they fight off a, a uh, the British Navy without even a Navy of their own we didn't have a standing army we didn't have a uh, we couldn't call up the Marines we couldn't call up the uh, the United States Navy to go out and do battle against the ships that came and and bombarded our nation during that battle we didn't have the ability to, to, to form up a, a mass military of men to go out and to fight this fighting machine that had been well uh, defined by military conflicts that were happening in other places in the world before they came to these shores to bring the colony back under the rule of the king. And yet within the first uh, days of conflict, our nation took two naval ships from the British. They, uh, they captured two without even a, a ship of our own that was part of this nation. It's an impossible thing. How else can you explain other than the blessing of God that would allow a ragtag group of people that were were just simple uh, farmers and carpenters and people that were scratching out an existence in this land being able to come together and to fight off a military might such as that? How can you explain it other than the hand of God was moving upon this nation because the people of this nation committed themselves to God. God said to Solomon, look, there's going to come a day in which you fall away from uh, from my presence. You, You cause me to have anger against you because of the wickedness in your heart. And he says, if you simply will turn back to me, if you'll call out my name, I'll hear from heaven. And I'll I'll heal your land. It's an impossible thing to think that this nation or the nation of Israel could ever fall away from God, but God is giving a provision to Solomon in the midst of this time of great blessing in which all the people came together and and sacrificed thousands of animals on the altar of God to worship Him. How could they? you, you ever imagine that these people who've seen so much of what God is doing 
could turn away. We've seen in our own history that we can. And God said, listen, if you'll just simply remember that you're my people, you are my people, I chose you, and I chose you to be in this place. And when we understand that we are God's people, we understand that we don't have any rights to, to do what we desire. And remember, the children of Israel were former slaves. They understood what it meant to be owned by another. God says, you're mine. Today we understand that better than, than anyone else. We've been purchased by a great price. With a great price purchase of our lives with the, uh, with the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. We understand and we know that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. A sacred price that was given for us. We're God's people. And when you are the possession of another, when you are a servant, when you're a slave of another, you don't do what you desire, you do what the Master desires. That's why sin is so abominable. It is the assertion that, that no longer is the price that was paid for us sufficient to cause us to realize that we do what the Master says, what the Lord says. That's what makes our sin so egregious. We need to understand and know that we belong to God. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. We've been called out by God. He says, if my people which are called by my name, why are, they call, why are we called by His name? Because He purchased us. He gave us our freedom. He liberated us from our sin. He liberated us from the chains of our bondage that is the result of our sin. We have the, the payment of death upon us because of our sin. But Jesus Christ paid that price on the cross of Calvary. We belong to Him. And as such, we are called by His name name we are his people we have to humble ourselves we have to come to him with the understanding that we have done wrong that we have have done an egregious thing against him that we have have done something that uh, that is contrary to his desire in our life when we choose that we are going to come back to God we can't come back to him and just simply say oh yeah God, uh, God. <coughs> excuse me Hey, God, you, you, you remember that thing that I did the other day? I really didn't mean to do that. And Hey, if you could just take that away from me and let me have the good life back in my life, I surely would appreciate it. You know, hey, can you just uh, kind of wipe that off? No, we got to understand that, that when we sin against God, we're God's people and we've gone against His desire for our life. We need to humble ourselves. We need to come with sackcloth and ashes as they did in the Bible. We need to understand that we come in humility. We come with uh, an outward showing of our transgression in, a, in our life. And we need to come humbly before God, realizing that we can't save ourselves, that we can't liberate ourselves from the sin that we've gotten ourselves into. And we need to realize that we come humbly before Him and with great uh, humility in our life to seek His forgiveness. 
We need to come before Him with great humility and plead that He would forgive us. If we come together and humble ourselves before God and pray and seek His face, we've got to acknowledge that God is the one that we have to seek. We can't come together with our CPA and say, hey, do you think we can get rid of this debt, this this problem in our life? Is there enough money in my 401k that I can cash out, that I can take care of this issue? Hey, is there is there any way that I, uh, that I could kind of sell some of my uh, holdings and come together and be able to to get out of this situation. No, we need to realize and we have to understand that there's nothing that we can do, that we have to humble ourselves before God and seek His face, pray unto God, realize that our help only comes from Him, only our deliverance comes from God. If we seek Him and turn from our wicked ways, you see, you can't just simply... Continue to live your life as if, hey, you know, God, I, you know, God, hey, hey, I, I appreciate you hearing me. You know, God, can you just forgive that little kind of thing? And and on the way out, keep thinking, you know, hey, all right, I'm good till next Saturday. All right, then I'll go back and do. I'll see you guys later. No, that's the attitude we have a lot of times. We want to we want to live like a, a a heathen on Saturday night and do all the bad things that that we know we shouldn't do and and hey god hey can you can you uh hook me up with a little bit of forgiveness on uh, sunday morning so i can go to church and and then uh wind right back up uh hey tgi friday all right we're back to the weekend and live like a, a heathen in the world again on saturday the next saturday no god's grace abounds to cover all of our sin but god's desire is is that we would be more like Him. That we would understand the significance of our sin. That we would would, just the thought of doing the things that we used to do ought to bring tears to our eyes. It ought to cause us to, uh, to weep over the things that we've done to God because of our sin. And that alone ought to cause us to not want to sin again. Jesus died on the cross once and for all for our sins, but guess what? It was our sin that nailed Him to the cross. It was our sin that that caused Him to go to the cross, and He bears our transgressions upon Him. He who knew no sin took our sin upon Him that we might be forgiven. We're to humble ourselves, seek His face, turn from our wicked ways. And then He promises, He promises us that He'll hear hear from heaven and heal our land. It's not too late for our country. It's not too late. If God's people will come together and pray and humble ourselves before God, God will bring healing. 
He promised that He would bring healing to the land of Israel if they would just simply turn back to Him, allow Him to have preeminence in their life. As we talked about uh, this past Wednesday and how uh, the, the people of Israel kind of separated into two kingdoms and they, from time to time would ha- uh, they would have two different kings and, and from time to time these kings would, would lead the people away from God like Solomon allowed his, uh, all these wives and concubines to bring uh, the worship of these foreign gods into the, la- into the land and, and all of his children and grandchildren, and, and further caused the people from time to time to sin against God, but there were times in which the people turned back to God. We talked about Hezekiah and how he desired to, to eliminate all the foreign idols in, in Israel, and, in Judah, excuse me, and, and tried to eliminate all the, 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 the altars where the, the worship of foreign gods were committed and to take away all the astral poles. There were times in which God restored His people because they turned back to Him. And God can restore us as well. God can restore His people, this land, if we had simply turned back to Him. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we praise You for the promise that You give us. The promise to... to remove our sin, to heal our land, to bring us back into a right relationship with You. Father God, we're in some terrible times because we've allowed the Bible to be taken out of our homes, taken out of our schools, taken out of our community life. Lord, we pray that You would forgive us. We humble ourselves before You. We pray that You would help us to turn away from the evil of this world and turn back to You. That You might hear our prayers and heal our land. Father God, I pray that You would bring healing once again to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.